this week has been um, a busy week for Elizabeth. Elizabeth has been baking or getting ready to bake a wedding cake, which she did yesterday for some of our friends from Cornerstone, trying to transport a cake in this weather from Egbeth to town down the dock road with all the roadworks that are going on at the moment was a challenge, but kudos to Elizabeth, she did it. Um, and one of the things I know a lot of us, a lot of us, a lot of you here bake and you know uh, what I mean here. One of the most important tools that you have when you're baking is scales. That's right, isn't it? You need a set of scales, unless you're a real pro and you're just like, yeah, that, that's about enough and you can do it by eye. But I think most of us would need a set of scales and we need scales because uh, we need things in the right proportions and we need to, to make the right cake or, so this is probably the limit of my experience of measuring rice. Uh, but even I know with rice, a little bit too much water, a little bit too less water and it doesn't come out. Like it needs to be the right amount of water, the right amount of rice, the right amount of salt. If we want to get it right, we need those scales to help us stay in balance. And in the same way, but with infinitely greater consequences, our lives are the same. We are created, God has created each one of us to live in balance. And all of us every day are taking things in. And if we don't get the proportion of, of where they sit, if we kind of imagine our life as a scale, if, if we allow those things to, to take up too much weight in our lives, then the consequences, we are going to feel them. Actually, we're going to see this morning in the passage that we're in, in Habakkuk chapter 2, that actually, when we're out of balance, that will lead us to exhaustion and enslavement. It will lead us to being people who are deceived. And ultimately, the Word of God says, if we are out of balance eternally, that will lead us to destruction. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 2, to page 786 in, in your church Bibles there. We're just going to read three verses, the end of chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. Let me just remind you where we are. Uh, this is hundreds of years before Jesus comes and lives amongst his people. And God's people, Judah, are on the brink of being taken into exile. But God's prophet Habakkuk has been given this promise by God. As you go and as you're, you're going to experience the sting of exile and the pain and the suffering of loss, hold on to this promise. The righteous shall live by their faith. And last week, didn't we see that actually the reality for God's people in that kind of world where we experience suffering, pain and loss is we can have hope. Hope because we know that God is, is using those situations and those circumstances to bear fruit in our lives. No pain is wasted. No suffering is wasted for the sons and daughters of the living God. And we can also have hope that God will judge the unjust. He will judge all of the wicked and all of their deeds. And so we come to the end of chapter 2. The end of God's response to Habakkuk. And this is what he says, starting at verse 18. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and, and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God, if you remember, is pronouncing judgment on the Chaldeans on Babylon. 
And let me just give you a bit of background here. Clearly, he's, he's uh, just given this last woe, this last judgment to Babylon, and it's wrapped around this theme of idolatry. He's going to judge the Babylonians for, for keeping false idols. Let me just kind of let you in a little bit what idolatry looked like for Babylon. So they had uh, lots of gods, but their main god, the kind of the, the, the center of, of their culture was this god called Marduk. Uh, funky name uh, for a god, but he was the, the main one that everyone would worship in the center of Babylon, the main city in Babylonia. Uh, they had a temple dedicated to Marduk. Marduk's other name was, was Bel. And the, the Hebrew interpretation for Bel is Lord. Very interesting. So in the center of their city, there is a temple dedicated to their Lord. And they had this inner sanctuary within the temple. Inside this inner sanctuary was a gold image of Bel, this kind of carved image of their Lord in the inner sanctuary. And if you know the story of Daniel, uh, you'll know that uh, he was punished for not bowing down and worshipping Bel, not worshipping their God. It was the same with uh, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They were all punished for not worshipping the Lord of, of Babylon. And God in these verses is coming down on Babylon and saying, do you realise what you're doing? He's speaking to, Babylon, uh, to Habakkuk. He's speaking, speaking primarily to his people, but also to Babylon as well here. He's, he's showing them that you're coming and you're, you're worshipping, you're giving your love to, to this thing, and it is speechless. It's just a carved image. It's almost, it's almost humorous what they're doing. And actually, you see this kind of practice in other parts of the world at the moment. The, the culture that my mum came out of, um, Hinduism, they would still practice uh, idolatry in these kind of ways. My mum's parents had uh, all sorts of idols in a room at home, and it was their family culture to go and worship these idols. Now, you and I, in the middle of Liverpool, uh, in the UK, in Western Europe, might look at that kind of idolatry, might look at Babylon, might look at uh, Malaysia, where my mum uh, was brought up, and, and scorn and laugh and kind of think, well, that's just a little bit primitive. But the reality is, we'd be blind and we'd be foolish to say that idols are just as pervasive, or they are just as pervasive in our culture as they were in Babylon. They are. And we may not have kind of golden uh, cows and bulls set up at the end of Lark Lane, but we are a nation of idol worshippers. And just to be clear what idolatry is, idolatry, if we just come back to this theme of, of scales and weight, idolatry is fundamentally about order. So if you remember in the Ten Commandments, God says, the first commandment, have no other God before me. In Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul builds on that and he says the world that we live in it is a world where we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, where we worship created things instead of the creator. It's getting the order of things confused, worshiping created things instead of the creator. Tim Keller just puts it really simply like this. He says, idolatry is taking something and making it more important than God. That's helpful, isn't it? That's what idolatry is. Anytime we put something above God, anytime we treat something as more important than God is. So if you think of those scales again, God has created us to see him and to see his glory and his worth. And if we think of those scales for him to vastly outweigh anything else in the world. 
So we, we see those scales and it's not wrong to, to enjoy things and to love things and to have affection for things. But if the scales start tipping like this, where they become more important and have more influence and draw more of our affection than God, than Tim Keller, the Bible, Jesus, we would say that is idolatry. And when the scales tip like that, that disordered love that we have always leads to a disordered life. Oh, I'm going to have to do it. Dry, 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 dry lips, but there we go. It's all right. Disordered loves leads to disordered lives. That's what idolatry does. Here's a really helpful diagnostic for us. If we want to try and work out whether something is an idol in our lives, and remember, a lot of these things are good things. Here's a quick diagnostic. Elise Fitzpatrick, who's a, a Christian author in the States, she says this. How can I tell if I'm worshipping the blessings that I desire or God? How can I tell whether the scales are like this or like this? She says this. Well, if you're willing to sin to obtain your goal or sin when you don't get what you want, then your desire has taken God's place and you are functioning as an idolater. That's really helpful, isn't it? If you're willing just to stray over the boundary of, of what you know is right and wrong in order to get something, or if you don't get that thing, if it causes you to sin, at least Fitzpatrick is saying, then that thing is an idol for you. The scales have tipped, friends. And that thing is now more important to you than God is. Disordered loves lead to disordered lives. And let me just ask this quick question. Where do idols come from? Clearly for the Babylonians, they could go to the temple and the idol was there. But what about for us in the world that we live in? Where do idols come from? Well, let me just read these really helpful verses from 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 15. We're going to see in these verses, don't worry about 10 in there, but just listen for these key words. The world and the flesh. John says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And John says the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So in those few verses, John really makes it clear the place that idols come from in his culture and in every culture that's come from, there are two primary places. The flesh, which we would call our heart, and the world, which we might call the culture that we live in. So really quickly, the flesh or our heart. God really says clearly that we are to love God and love others. That is what order looks like in our hearts, to prioritize our love for God and then love for others. But what our heart does is it, is it sees other things around us, quite often good things, again, around us, and it wants to love those things. So we see money or we see sex or we see power or we even see ourselves and we fall in love with those things and we start to have a greater affection for those than we do for God. John Calvin, the 16th century reformer said, our hearts are like idol factories, always just perpetually churning out idols. That is where our idols come from, our hearts. And we replace our love for God with love for things that have been created. So they come from the heart, they come from our flesh, and then they come from the world. They come from the culture around us. Again, we take good things that God has given us in our world and we distort them. It's interesting, every city in the world, I think, has kind of regional cultural idols. 
So quick test for Liverpool. What would be our, our what would be the big idols for our city? Football. Football. Nice one, Karish. What else? Music. music. People flock into this city because we are renowned for our music. Is that a bad thing? No. Music is a gift from God. Is football a bad thing? No. But what happens is we take good things and we distort them and they inevitably want us to conform into their image and they become destructive. Folks, let's not be blind to it. This even happens in the church. In different circles that we find ourselves in, in reformed evangelicalism, we can find ourselves conforming to the image of something while forgetting that it's Jesus that we should be loving. It's Jesus who our affections should be stirred for. Not the reformers, not any kind of systems or processes or style of worship. It's Jesus. There are idols of the heart. There are idols in the world. And something that John kind of alludes to, but is there just all the way through the word of God is this. There are these two places that idols come from, the heart and the world. But there is something else. If you imagine the heart and the world being the source of idols for us, Satan is the one who blows on the flames. There are demonic forces which are leading us into idol worship. The Bible says that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion and he wants to destroy us. It's a really interesting passage in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul's talking about anger of the heart. And he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And he's teaching us to, to forget. It's a really helpful lesson just to forgive each other. Don't, don't harbor anger against each other. Don't allow yourself to be led towards sin by harboring anger on one another. And then he says this straight after. If we do, we are letting Satan have a foothold. And the word foothold there in the Greek is this word topos, which is where we get the word topography. And what he's trying to say is when we, when we have idols of the heart, whether it's kind of us wanting to be right all the time or whether it's money or whether it's sex or whether it's whatever it is, if they are unchecked, if we have idols of our heart, what we are allowing ourselves to do is to give Satan a position where he can see our weakness. Paul is saying, don't let him have a foothold. Don't give him the high ground. That's what topography is. It's kind of contours and high ground, low ground. Don't give Satan the foothold where he can have a vantage point to see the sinful desires of your heart. Our idols come from our heart, from the world, and Satan is constantly there watching, looking for our weaknesses, trying to drag us away from Jesus and into rebellion. And why does it matter that we know this? Why does it matter that God brings judgment for, for idolatry here in this, in this passage in Habakkuk? Well, for two primary reasons. Because our idols will deceive us and our idols will destroy us. Look back at verse 18 in Habakkuk 2. What profit is an idol when its maker is shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless <coughs> idols. You've seen the first half of verse 18. What did, he, what did he say they are? They are teachers of lies. Our idols deceive us. They try and imitate an aspect of God and then distort it. And folks, that is why we need to know who God is and what he says. Because the idols of our heart and the idols in our world will try and give us their truth. And we need to know what the truth of God is so we can counter it. So we can see what is good in culture, what is good in our heart. Let's not re- reject everything. Like it's not like everything outside of here is bad. There are good things in the world. There are good things that, that we can do in, in and out of our hearts, but we need to be able to put them against the word of God and see what is true. 
And God is saying to the Babylonians here, just, just step back a minute and see what you're doing. You're carving these images, you're carving these idols, and you're calling them to life. And yet they stand lifeless. It's just a, a pile of gold. And yet you're putting your trust in it. God's really helping them to see, just look at how foolish it is what you're doing. Look at how blind you are. You've been lured in by the beauty of these idols, by just that little hit of happiness that it can give you. And it's deceiving you. And folks, I'm sure every single one of us has idols that we are contending against and we need to see and hear what God is saying. They will deceive us. They will promise so much and they will not be able to give it to us. They will lure us in by an external beauty, but they will promise us with something which only God can give us. Our idols deceive us. And then secondly, our idols will ultimately, if we follow them and bow the knee to them, they will destroy us. Greg Beale, who's another author, Christian author, says this, what people revere, they resemble either for ruin or restoration. What people revere, they resemble either for ruin or for restoration. God is warning us all the way through scripture that that is the case. If we follow our idols, if we keep bowing the knee to idols, if we keep giving our affections to our idols, they will destroy us. Here's my conviction. I don't think God is just mocking Babylon here. I think he's warning them. I think he's warning them the trajectory that idolatry leads towards. Again, in verse 18, what profit is an idol? They, they don't gain us anything at all. In fact, our idols, instead of giving to us, they take away. Look at this in verse 19. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. Three times this Hebrew word is kind of repeated there, and it's a word that has allusions towards life. He's saying you kind of carve this image and you say, awake. You carve this image and you say, come on, arise, stone, arise. You come to it and you, you kind of think that there's life in it. And God is saying there is no breath in it at all. Our idols might hold out to us true life. But actually, the reality is they leave us in death. They are not even to our profit. They leave us empty. They leave us wanting. And ultimately, they will leave, lead us to destruction. To break God's commandment, to love him more than we love anything others. Folks, that is sin. And didn't we see last week, sin leads to judgment. God will judge us for our sin. And if we continually bow the knee to our idols and follow our idols of the heart of the world, we should not be surprised if God is standing against us in judgment. The point is clear here. The idols of Babylon, the idols that we have this morning in our heart and in the world, God is saying they offer you nothing, nothing of worth. They will deceive and they will destroy. But, verse 20, but God says the Lord, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Read that again. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Do you see what God's doing here? Remember, Babylon have their Lord in the center of their temple and they're drawn in to worship their Lord in the center of their temple. And God is saying, no, 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 the Lord, Yahweh, the one true God is in his holy temple. And our right response to that is to keep silence before him. 
God is holding out something better to Judah, something better to Babylon, something better to you and I. Babylon have their God hold up in this holy space. So often we have our idols hold up in this holy space. And God is saying they will offer you nothing but deception and destruction. But I have something infinitely better to give you myself. I am the Lord. I am in the holy temple. That's what God is saying. He's encouraging Judah. He's encouraging, I'm sure he is, Babylon. And he's encouraging us this morning as we wrestle with our idols to lift our eyes to the one true God. The Lord who's seated in his holy temple. Folks, in our wrestle with idolatry, we need a better vision of Jesus. That's what we need. That's what God is doing in these verses. Look at the foolishness of what you're doing with the idols around you and lift your gaze to the one true God who we see in the person of Jesus Christ. And folks, when we look to Jesus, we will always see something that is infinitely better than anything that our hearts can conjure up, anything that the world can offer to us. See, in contrast, and we look back at the passage, in contrast to the silence of our idols, we have in Jesus a God who speaks This book here is God's revelation to us through Jesus. And it is illuminated to us by the Holy Spirit. God is not a silent God. He's not a carved object that we kind of sit and we're just waiting for him to to say something. No, he is alive and he speaks to us. In contrast to the idols of our hearts and the idols of the world, we have a God who loves us unconditionally, unconditionally. All of our idols want to take something from us. God just wants to give to us. And don't we see that at the cross? Don't we see that that God isn't kind of demanding things from us? He gives everything that he holds precious and gives it for us. Jesus comes and lives a perfect life and he suffers the death on the cross for us. We have in God a God who who loves us eternally and unconditionally. And none of our idols can say that. We have in God, in contrast to the idols, of our hearts and the idols of the world, a God who is alive. God is trying to show Judah, show Babylon, these things that you're, you're, you're bowing down and worship, they're, they're inanimate objects. They can't even move. They have no breath within them. But in God, we have a God who is truly alive. The cross couldn't hold Jesus down. Three days later, he rose again, full of life and offering that life to you and I. There are no idols. There is nothing in this world, nothing in our hearts that can offer us resurrection life. It is only the God, the one true God, who can offer that to us. And finally, the contrast that we see, the final one that we see here, in contrast to the idols of our hearts and the idols of the world who will lead us to destruction in God, we have a God who leads us to life eternal. After he rose from the grave, Jesus left his Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our eternal life with God. Even just in those four ways, we can see, folks, can't we, why Jesus is better? Why bowing the knee to anyone else and giving our lives to anything else is foolishness. They can't offer us what our God offers us. So how do we respond? Well, just two quick points of application recognizing that we are people who contend with idolatry of the heart and idolatry in the world around us. Here's the first thing that I'd encourage us towards. And we heard it in the passage that Ryan read to us at the start from Isaiah. Tear down your idols. Tear down your idols. 
It's interesting, through the Old Testament, whenever God's people move into a new area of land, what is the first thing that God says to them? Tear down the ashram, go and find the false gods and tear them down, raise them to the ground. And he says the same thing to us. The idols of our heart, the things that we are running to, and we are giving greater weight and emphasis to those over God. God would say through his word to us, his people, tear them down, raise them to the ground, be violent against them, just rid your heart of them. Because the truth is we will struggle to see Jesus when we are still looking at our idols. Today is Elizabeth and my 12th wedding anniversary. And on the day, this day, 12 years ago, when we stood in front of each other and our friends and our family, we made vows to each other. And one of the vows that we made was to forsake all others until death us depart. Forsake all others. And that means that even though there are other women around Elizabeth, even though there are other men around me, we will forsake them all for the love of one another. There is no woman who will take Elizabeth's place. There is no man who will take my place as her husband and her as my wife. We will forsake all others. We will love each other. And God demands the same from us. He wants the same for us to forsake all others. Yes, to see that there are good things around them, but never to place them above him. God wants us to place him as our first love. And let me just say, that isn't, that isn't enslaving, that is our joy. It's our joy to love him before anything else. As we pray in a moment and we share this meal together, I'd encourage some of us to resolve as we pray and we take this meal as a reminder of the finished work of the cross, the power that God brings against our sin. I would encourage some of us just to take a moment of silence and to resolve to tear down specific idols in our lives. Idols that you know are creeping in and are starting to push those scales in the wrong direction and are starting to carry weight where only God should have. And that might be a struggle with money. It might be a struggle with sex, with power. It might be a struggle, folks, with yourself. You might be the biggest idol in your life. It might be a struggle with the spouse that you have or the spouse that you don't have. You know what it is. And if you don't, you ask the Holy Spirit to shine a light in the dark areas of your heart and to tear those idols down. And here's the second point of application I'd encourage us towards. Love this place. Not Morantos. They don't wash their glasses. Love this place. The church is so important in our fight against idolatry. You see, the culture is trying to disciple us. You know that? The culture is trying to conform us to their image. When actually God wants us to conform into the image of his son. And it is here in the church, in the community of God's people, that we are discipled with the help of his spirit through his word and through his people. And that is why we will constantly sing, constantly teach, constantly move towards and encourage one another towards Jesus. If we want to break down our idols and raise them to the ground, folks, we need one another. Some of you will relate to this. My dad uh, wears glasses and they are always, whenever I go and see him, they're always filthy. And I look at, and some of you, I'm sure, will, will relate to this if you wear glasses. And I kind of say, Dad, have you not cleaned your glasses for a while? And he's like, what do you mean? Like, they're filthy. And he takes them off and he's like, oh, 
Oh, they really are. And actually, he doesn't really know because he's just so used to looking through the lens and seeing what's beyond it. But actually, it's a really helpful illustration to say sometimes we get so used to the things that are in our hearts and coming out of our hearts and so used to the things that are set around us in the world that actually we can't see the wood for the trees. And it takes someone else to come alongside us and say, brother, sister, have you noticed? I'm just a bit concerned that you're, you seem to be, your affection seems to be stirred for this quite a lot. Now it's a good thing, but I'm just, can we just talk about that? And sometimes we don't even see it ourselves. And we need our brothers and sisters to lovingly come alongside us and to encourage us and point us towards true conformity where there is joy, which is conformity to Christ. You know, in the, in the, in the Gospels where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Notice he doesn't say, I will build individuals and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Recognizing again that our idols come from the heart, they come from the world, and Satan is constantly blowing on those things, trying to lure us away from Jesus. And God says, no, I've given you something to defend against that. I've given you something to stand against that. And it's not you on your own. It's not you trying to battle it in your own strength. It's you with God's people, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, I really want to encourage us towards this this morning. If we want to see the idols of our lives moved away and raised to the ground, we need one another. We need community, not because it is cool, but because God has designed us in that way. And so here in the second point of application, I would encourage all of us to invite that in to invite the inspection of our brothers and sisters into our lives, to ask them to look at our glasses and say, is there anything there that you think is maybe out of balance? And not to be so proud to get angry or upset or frustrated when they do point something out. I think we all have dirty glasses, right? So let's just be honest and let's just be open and let's just joyfully welcome the encouragement from our brothers and sisters when they point out the dirt and encourage us towards Jesus. Folks, God wants us to worship him because he is infinitely better. He wants us to tear down our idols. He wants us to worship him in order for us to become more balanced. That's what he wants. He wants himself to be in our lives in the right place with the right weight. And for all of the other good gifts that he has given us for us to enjoy them, but with the right perspective. And God doesn't demand that because he hates us. He doesn't demand that because he wants to enslave us. In 2 Corinthians 3, actually, Paul encourages us that actually God is about freedom. Where the spirit of God is, there is freedom. Not where the idols of our hearts are, not where the idols of the world are, where the spirit of God is. That is where true freedom is. And you and I, folks, if we are honest, we are broken people. We have been broken from birth. And that is just the, the result of our sin nature. Our problem with idols is not, is not fundamentally a problem with the idols. It is a problem with ourselves. And there's nothing that you and I can do about that. But God, in sending his son, he has brought a way for us to be restored. For us to have our balance restored. For us to see God for who he is. For us to worship him in a right way. For us to continually, day after day, put our sin to death. Raise our idols. Take hold of one another in the community of God's people. And walk in conformity to his son. I'm going to share this meal, folks. And I'd encourage you just to um, 
just to practice those points of application as we do. Just take this moment of asking the Holy Spirit to reveal in your heart any ways that offend him. Any idols that you are contending with. We all have idols. The good news is that God knows that. Whatever you pray and whatever you bring before God now, he's not like, really? You? No, he knows. He knows before we pray and he's provided all the help that we need. God wants to bring us freedom. And so as we take this meal, we reflect on the finished work of the cross. We reflect on the truth that we have a God who speaks through his word, a God who loves us and has shown us that through the life and death of his son, Jesus, a God who is alive. Jesus has risen from the dead, a God who gives life, eternal life, which he has given to us to start pining for now with the deposit of his Holy Spirit within us and to enjoy with him for all eternity. And so as we take this meal, folks, we remember Jesus' body that was broken for your idolatry and for my idolatry. Remember his blood that was shed to forgive you of that idol worship, to forgive you of that sin. And so feast on this meal, folks. Ask God to inspect your heart and ask him to send help, and he will. Help of his Holy Spirit to put these idols to death and to increasingly conform to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me just pray for this meal. And then Ryan will bring around you know, the bread, the juice, the wine. And then Elizabeth and Matty, Elizabeth and Matty are going to get up and just lead us through a song together you know, to help us carry on in our worship. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. We thank you that we, your people, do not contend against our idols in futility, but in hope. Thank you that you have shone the light of the gospel into our hearts and shown us that we are helpless and hopeless without an intervention from God. And we thank you, Jesus, that you have come as that help. We thank you that in your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection and your ascension, we thank you that we have all the help that we need to live a life that is each day moving away from our sin and our idols and each day moving towards our love and our conformity to you. We need your help. And so we take this meal in remembrance of you paying the price, all of the debt that was held against us for our sin, paying it in full and securing the forgiveness for our sins. We take this meal in thankfulness for the finished work of the cross. And we take it as, as a fuel as well to encourage us that we have your spirit to help us in our weakness. And so come Holy Spirit, Come, Holy Spirit, and shine the light of the glory of Jesus into our hearts. Reveal idolatry, reveal sin, and encourage us towards Jesus, we pray. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken, your blood that was shed. We love you, you we worship you, and we pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen.